Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Music Biz Weekly Podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Michael Brandvold, and as always, joined by Jay Gilbert. Same old, same old, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. Oh, I always look forward to talking with you, Michael. It kind of breaks up the day a little bit. I don't take I, any I calls I do, too. I mean, I love, I love doing these shows. I mean, God I knows do I've been doing them for 10 years, but... In the podcast world, that's a hundred years. That that's yeah, dark that's back ages. in the yeah, back with the you had to wind it up back then. Ex so. Exactly, you had <laughs> tape and a pencil, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, before we get to this week's absolutely amazing guest, and yes. you know, not to pat ourselves on the back here, but we've had a string of some really amazing guests joining us mm -hmm. lately. Um, Fantastic! I want to just do a quick shout out to our supporters bands in town and Hypebot. thank you so much for everything you Thanks, do to Bruce. support us and of course to our sponsors bandzoogle.com built by musicians for musicians bandzoogle is an all-in-one platform that makes it easy to build a beautiful website and epk for your music bandzoogle powers the websites for tens of thousands of musicians around the world from weekend warriors to grammy winners all the features you need for a professional website are already built in, including hosting and a custom domain name, dozens of fully customizable design templates, tools to sell your music and merch commission-free, commission-free crowdfunding and fan subscriptions, mailing list tools to grow your fan list, social media integrations, and of course, amazing live tech support from their musician-friendly team seven days a week. So we got a great little offer for all of our listeners. Head over to bandzoogle.com, sign up, try it for free for 30 days. But when you register, use the promo code, all one word now, musicbizweekly, and you will save 15% off the first year of any subscription. And of course, discmakers.com. We know it's a digital world, but there's still an important role for physical media for today's musicians. Digital royalty payments can be so small that selling products like CD, vinyl, T-shirts, online and at gigs has become such an important income generator. For every CD you sell, you might need roughly 3,000 streams to make the same amount of money. And that's a lot of streams. That's a lot. Our friends at Disc Makers are the place to go for your discs and other physical media, including vinyl, USB drives, and even T-shirts. So another great offer for our listeners, head over to discmakers.com, place an order for a hundred or more CDs. And when you check out, use the promo code FREEBIZ and you will save up to $150 in shipping costs. So Jay, who do we got joining us? Holy cow, Garrett Levin, uh, CEO of DEMA, which is the Digital Media Association. And what a fantastic conversation. Uh, we talk about, you know, user-centric payments and metadata and botting and pay for play and smart speakers and podcast. We, we talk about so many different things. Um, I was taking notes uh, through the conversation. Uh, I highly recommend that you do the same. Um, there is a PDF uh, report um, called the Streaming Forward Report. Um, that we will provide a link to, uh, which will help you along. But what a fantastic guest. Yeah, just let it roll, take some notes, and we'll see you at the end. Build a stunning band website in minutes with Bandzoogle. 
Go to bandzoogle.com to start your free 30-day trial and use the promo code MUSICBIZWEEKLY to get 15% off the first year of any subscription. Today we are joined by Garrett Levin, who is the CEO of DEMA, Digital Media Association. Garrett, thrilled to have you on, man. Thanks for joining us. I'm super excited to be here. The only person more excited is my son, who I told him I was recording a podcast. And he was like, you're going to be on a podcast? <laughs> it might not be the kind of podcast you're that excited about, but I'm excited to be here. <laughs> well, we're, we're definitely excited to have you. I, I know you had sent over... Uh, a really cool kind of update on the state of the industry and streaming. And that kind of started this conversation um, because, you know, we, we love seeing the growth. We love seeing the, the changes, but before we kind of get into that, um, tell us a little bit about what you do and what, what DEMA does. Cause I think it's really interesting. Sure. So uh, DEMA has actually been around since 1998. Uh, it formed in the super early days of digital transmission of music uh, over the internet. Mark Cuban with Broadcast.com yep. was one of the original like founding incorporators. Wow. Um, and it's kind of gone through the same evolution that the business has, as we've all kind of seen digital distribution go from this, can we do this to, uh, oh, <laughs> we can do this. Yeah, um, it's it's kind of um, taken on the shape of the industry. So right now, you know, my members are, are the big streaming services in the US. It's Apple Music, it's Amazon, it's Google, YouTube, Pandora, sure. and Spotify. And we're essentially kind of the, the DC advocacy organization on behalf of the industry. You know, I'm sure folks, everyone's familiar with RAAA and NMPA and DEMA kind of plays that role to some degree with the, the digital streaming services. So RAAA kind of supports um, maybe the rights holders, you know, the, the, the major labels and so on. And it sounds like what you're doing is kind of representing those big DSPs, the Apple Musics, you know, of the world and Pandora, Deezer, whatever. Um, and it's primarily North America or, or U.S.? Yeah, it's, it's primarily U.S. currently. Obviously, like you hear that list of, of, of members and, and you're talking about particularly with, you know, the Spotify's and Apple Music's and Amazon's of the world and YouTube, like those are global firms. Um, and obviously a lot of the issues that arise in the U.S. arise elsewhere. Like the conversations you look across the globe, the conversations we're having about the streaming industry and the streaming economy, that there are a lot of similarities, even from territory to territory. Um, but DEMA's focus is primarily advocacy within the United Got States. And, and the report that you mentioned is a, is a U.S. snapshot of the, of the industry. Yeah. Garrett, I would love, and this may not be directly um, applicable to, to DEMA, but you're, you're in the trenches. And one of the things Jay and I have, have talked about since day one of streaming services, and it gets more and more frequent, is will there be a consolidation of these streaming services? Because, you know, and where we're coming from is, at the end of the day, they've all got basically the same catalog of music. What differentiates why Spotify will exist when Apple exists, when Amazon exists, when YouTube ex exists. And, and as we know, Apple's model all the way from the beginning of iTunes was, 
we're selling music to get you to buy our devices. That's where we make our money. We aren't making the money necessarily selling you a digital file. We're making it because we want you to play it on, you know, this, this device, um, which puts them in a different league than Spotify, who has only one thing to sell access to music. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it, one of the really fascinating things to me about this marketplace is that it is really competitive still to this day, right? You have these robust um, firms that are engaging in, you know, really aggressive competition for you, me, the, you know, 100 million people who are paying for subscriptions right now. One of the things that was really fascinating to me when we put out this report is we added this little, like, outside of the numbers and stuff, we added this little thing at the end of the top 10 uh, um, tracks streamed on each of the services. I'll be honest, I expected them to basically all be the same and right. they're not, which right. to me actually gets to the point of there is something going on that suggests that like, it's not just about having the catalog, right? Because it's true. Like you, there, you look at the actual catalogs and you know, if, you, if you've got a, a full catalog on demand subscription service, it's a full catalog. Um, but they are doing things that are speaking to audiences differently, that are attracting different kinds of fans. I mean, I think about this, um, and I, I don't, I don't talk about specific members, but I think about this from my, uh, from my parents, right? And it, like my parents um, have, they went through a period where my, my dad like had a 10 CD changer in the back of his car. <laughs> I remember like, those. Coolest thing ever, yeah. right? And then when when you stop buying CDs, like they they just like disappeared from the music marketplace until they got a smart speaker. And once they got a smart speaker in their house, mm -hmm. they got a streaming subscription service. And I'm not going to out the the sure, either sure. smart speaker or the service, but you you can kind of track that and you can say, oh, like they, they came back into the marketplace because somebody met them where they were yeah. and said, we've got something that that will appeal to you. And so I don't have that. I don't have the answer on whether we're going to see consolidation. What I do think we see right now is that that kind of competition among the services for for consumers is a good thing. And yeah. like yeah. We, we, you know, one of our things that we like to really emphasize is when you're looking at, you know, music licensing policy, when you're looking at changes to things, is it actually going to be detrimental to, to that competition? Or is it going to help ensure not only that the five that are out there now stay, but that others can actually find ways into the marketplace? Yeah, too? yeah. You know, I noticed when, when you were talking about that, as a music marketer, I look at a lot of data for my artists and I totally see how certain genres and moods overperform on one DSP versus another. And certainly some of the things you talk about with smart speakers, I wonder how much of that also has to do with not everybody has a free tier. So Spotify has a free or ad supported tier, Apple Music doesn't. I wonder if that plays into it at all. And is that a challenge in what you do? Sure. So I think I think that the the challenge for the industry in a lot of ways. I mean, we we have gotten so used to streaming very quickly. But if you really stop and think about it, 
This is a young, and I don't say this derogatorily, an immature industry. Yep. Yes. Like we, we don't have, you know, you, you look at other aspects of the, the music industry and like, this isn't a knock, there is a way to be a record label. There is a way to be a music publisher. Like, and yes, they're going to innovate and change in response to things. There, no one right now can tell you the way to be a streaming service, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the point that you're making, you know, you look at these different business models, you look at different ways to generate revenue, different ways to bring music fans in, acknowledging that, you know, we've always enjoyed music kind of in parallel. There's people who have never paid for music. They've always mm -hmm. just listened to the radio. That's right. right. And then there's people, we're, we're probably among them, who have always spent probably more than they should on, on music, right? 100%. And like figuring out what that looks like, what the market actually looks like. We're, we're in still such early days of what this industry will actually become and like kind of figuring out what it means to, 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 and by the time we figure it out, we'll probably be doing something different. Yeah, but I that's, think that's you're we, absolutely we, right. Yeah, we all, right. we always, we always joke that by the time we're done recording this show, <laughs> yeah. something's already changed. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's, it's just that fast. I mean, maybe, maybe not on a daily basis, but definitely almost every week, somebody's announcing something new. Yeah, there's new innovations all the time. I tend to think of it this way, and and Garrett, I'd love to get your thoughts on this too, without calling out or, or having a preference for any DSP. There are definitely kind of two types of those DSPs that fall into your group. You know, there are those where streaming is their business, their primary business like Spotify, but then there are people where it's not their primary business like Apple, like Amazon, like Google. You know, I tend to think that they're going to be around a while because there are razor thin margins when it comes to streaming and yes anybody can start a streaming service man but the barrier to entry there is pretty steep these days so it must be a challenge for you in, in your role because you're dealing with these aren't super high margin businesses yeah i mean i'm not aware of a single one of them that's independently profitable Right. Like there is there is not yet. I mean, it's part of going back to that immaturity point, like there is not a clear path to profitability yet on the on the actual distribution side of it. I think, you know, I do think there's a little bit of a of a fiction and I, I, I understand it from from the outside of like, well, you know, services that are operated within larger companies can kind of afford to operate as loss leaders. I don't actually think that's true. I mean, if you talk to the people who are actually in the, the music business units at those organizations, they've got to report up the chain, right? That's right. Like, there's only <laughs> so much loss that can actually be tolerated. Exactly. At, no matter how big of a company you are. That's a good point. Um, it's not, this is not, this is not a hobby for any of these folks, right? Yeah. And like, we're, we're talking about companies, regardless of whether you're in a, um, an audio only kind of uh, position or, or if you sit within a broader corporate structure, these are companies that like focus on delivering profits and return on investment. And so, I, I, you know, I think, I think at the end of the day, even with those different structures, even with those different approaches to the business, the common element is 
how do we continue to actually kind of drive the innovations that you guys were just talking about and also kind of bring even more people into the market to get them to pay or to get them to generate revenue, however that's going to happen. Yeah. Do you get involved in the discussion surrounding user-centric payments or any of that? So, you know, not, not specifically, Dima doesn't have a specific position on user-centric payments. You know, it's, it's been, uh, it's obviously a hot topic, particularly yeah. uh, uh, across the ocean in the, in the EU and the UK. Yeah. I think it falls into a category of other conversations that we are obviously a part of, uh -huh. which is how do the industry economics work here, right? Like how does that pie get divided up? Um, and, 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 you know, like there, there, I've heard you guys talk about this and it's one of the things that made me like reach out and say, Hey, we should talk is the idea that, um, you know, this structure, the structure that we were talking about and the money flowing from the consumer to the service and across the chain of intermediaries down mm -hmm. to the creators at the end of that, it's far more complicated than just what's the rate that the service is That's right. out. Um, and so I think user-centric falls into that question, that question, those broader questions of balancing and, you know, ensuring that all the contributors in this system actually get compensated for their contributions. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's fair. And, and that also kind of leads into another discussion surrounding metadata. Um, it's so difficult these days when different providers are, you know, receiving an XML feed with different fields and some can have the sidemen, some can't, some have more, some less. have lyrics, some don't have lyrics. I mean, it, you, it comes back yeah. to the innovation. Some of them are innovating aggressively in that direction and others yeah. are not. Yeah. Are you involved in that at all, Garrett? Like just as an industry looking at what metadata we're using and a hundred percent. And, you know, we, we are involved in it. We're involved in it in kind of the broad context. We're involved in it in specific efforts, like getting the, uh, the MMA implemented and up and running and thinking about the MLC. Uh, and that's kicking date. off here soon, right? That's like January yeah. one, I think. January one license, the license becomes available. But I think, you know, it's been an interesting, um, if you look at what's going on in that context, it's an interesting case study for what can be done to improve data flows, right? I mean, I think, one of the challenges that, that we always face is like, we, we are living in 2020, right? So we have a 2020 mindset of, we've got data problems and we can solve them with data solutions. And we've got companies that that's all they do, right? But the recorded music industry and the music publishing industry is far older than 2020. And we're talking about bringing data from you know decades and decades ago and trying to jam it into a 2020 system and a 2020 mindset. Yeah. And I think, you know, streaming has done a lot of things, but one of the things that it has done on kind of the data and the policy side is it's broken down some of those silos that long existed, right? You can't just think of it, you know, it's not just 
okay, here's here's a radio station. So I know I'm going to get a performance royalty on the musical work side from that. And like, otherwise I got nothing else to think about. Um, all of it gets mixed in in the streaming context. And yeah. the, the truth is, and we're seeing this in the MMA context, like everybody's got a role to play in it. I think one of the reasons we ended up a little bit in the in the, the mess that we found ourselves in that led to the MMA is it was just a lot of finger pointing saying, sir, you giant services, why aren't that's you doing right. a better job with data? Like, it, mm-hmm. it, like that's not that's not actually the right question, right? The right question is why aren't we all doing a better job with data? Why isn't the data coming better from the rights holders on the input side? And I think, you know, my hope for things like the MLC's database is it gets, you know, the the rights holders to stand up and say, that is mine. Here's my authoritative information about what I owe Mm -hmm. and what I own. And you act accordingly. (laughs) You service act accordingly when you tell me what you've played. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you get involved in the challenges of some of these DSPs, like things that Michael and I have been talking a lot lately about spin farms and bots and pay for play and all of that and trying to game the system. You know, we were talking about a a band that changed the name of the band to white noise baby sleep, because it was trying to game the SEO right a little bit. But one of the thorns in the music industry side today are these bots and spin farms. And I'm not talking about when the fans of BTS share funds and try to spin something over and over and over as they listen. That's less of a concern to me, but everywhere I go today, I'm finding people who say, you know, I can get you a hundred thousand spins or a million spins for this amount of money. And at some point that's hurting everybody because somebody is, is paying that out. Are you involved in any of those issues? So, I mean, I think the point that you ended with, which is it harms everybody when we've got things like that going on, certainly they're on our radar, right? Certainly it's the kinds of things that we think about as an industry. I think one of, again, you know, ultimately individual companies are going to are going to face different challenges in that space and face different ways that people look to, you know, exploit whatever systems are in place. So we don't get involved necessarily in how an individual company responds to various, you know, specific actions of of people on their services. But I do think, you know, we're we're focused on ensuring this needs to be a healthy ecosystem, right? That that doesn't help anybody to to have situations where we've got, you know, illegitimate streams or kind of uh, like bots and things like that. It's not, that's not something that anybody's in favor of. Right. But you work in, are you in Washington? Yep. I'm in Washington. So you, I mean, you're working, you know, at a very high level um, with some very important people. And I guess I'm thinking, is there anything that can be done and pardon my ignorance here, but is there anything that can be done at a policy level or at a legislative level to, attack this problem or is that just a pipe dream so well, sort of like what was done with payola decades ago yes 
good good analogy or comparison yeah yeah so look i i when we made the joke earlier that by the time the the podcast ends like something's changed <laughs> yeah. you want to talk about things that move slowly like the legislative process is probably just about the slowest thing you, you take that back <laughs> um you know, and there are, there are good reasons for that, and there are just challenging reasons for that. But you look at the MMA, the MMA really, the conversations that ultimately led to the MMA probably began in the mid, you know, uh, aughts, like in the 2006 range. Oh, that uh, long ago? Yeah, with like really initial conversations around revising Section 115. They got kind of put on hold there and then they got re reborn in like the 2017, 2018 yeah. time period. But that, that stuff just takes a long time. Um, and I, I used to work on Capitol Hill. I, um, I, I feel like I have some familiarity with the legislative process it's not always the best solution to true technological problems because it, it's an inartful way to address you know, specific technology issues. And so I worry, I always worry about um, you know, going down a legislative path to solve for something that might actually be better solved through a business solution or a technological uh -huh. fix rather than you, you need legislation when the system is, is irretrievably broken and everyone's losing, right? And yeah. that's what we saw with mechanical licensing. Like it didn't, yeah. the system did not work for streaming services and it didn't work for- It was for, antiquated maybe yeah. a, a bit. I mean, can you just touch a little bit? You mentioned the MMA and for those that don't know about the Music Modernization Act or maybe even the Mechanical Licensing Collective, can you maybe just touch on those uh, just to give people an idea? Cause it's, it's a pretty big deal. And yeah. it's, it's like you said, it's a long time coming. And these are kind of, for the music industry, these are sweeping uh, changes. Massive, massive. So in a nutshell, kind of the, the MMA did a bunch of things, but the thing that is getting the most attention and that we're really in the run up to is it moved the, the licensing of mechanical rights. So the right to uh, make copies and distribute those copies of musical compositions. So the work embedded in the sound recording digitally um, moved that from a work by work licensing scheme to a blanket license. So, you know, the, the system we have had and will have for another month and a half uh, involved, um, you know, a service like a Spotify or any kind of fully on-demand full catalog service having to clear rights to underlying musical works on a work-by-work -work basis, um, which when you're talking about whatever, you know, the 40,000 new tracks put on the services, you know, daily, things like right, that, right. Like we're, it, 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 it's unworkable. Um, and so it replaces all of that with a blanket license. So just a straight up, you know, as long as as long as the service complies with a, a bunch of usage reporting requirements, with royalty payment obligations, with funding of the MLC, um, they get a blanket license to all musical compositions embedded within the sound recordings for use in things like interactive streams and downloads. So it is a sea change for yeah. um, how this licensing has worked. And on the rights holder side, what it means is that there's one body, the Mechanical Licensing Collective, through which 
which all of that money and all of that data is going to flow, meaning that at the end of the day, instead of getting, you're a, you know, say you're a self-published songwriter, and right now you're getting, you know, 20 different royalty statements in a, in a given accounting period from a bunch of different services, and none of it seems to fully add yeah. up, and you're not quite sure what's going on, you're going to get one. You're going to get one from the MLC and it's going to tell you everything that happened on every one of those services. But the um, MLC does not replace PROs. Certainly not. No. So, so PROs are still handling public performance rights. If you've got a, you know, if you're affiliated with ASCAP or BMI or CSAC yeah. or GMR, that money is still going to flow to you through the performance. Okay. Um, the mechanical licensing collective, like its name says, can only deal with the mechanicals. That's all they've got. It also doesn't replace, look, if there, if there are direct deals in the marketplace, if a service has a deal with a publisher that isn't under the statutory rate or doesn't need the blanket license, those things will continue as uh -huh. well. But it puts into the middle of this in a central location, um, one body to administer it. And you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier, one of the things that MLC is going to do and that we just think is going to be groundbreaking for the entire industry, by statute, they're required to have a publicly accessible database wow. of musical works ownership information. That's huge. Um, and that will be populated by data provided by rights holders that will then be reconciled and matched with the usage data and the sound recording metadata that the services are providing in, right? It's not... It's not the solution to all of our data problems, but it's it from our perspective, it's a colossal step forward in kind of improving the data the data system in this space. Wow. So let me ask you, um, what what keeps you up at night? Like, <laughs> what what are those things? What are those major problems or issues with that you know that the digital service providers wish that? would either a move along a little more quickly or things that you wish you could make a little bit more progress on is there anything like that yeah so i i think that the thing that always that's always in the back of my mind is um this is a we see this right now i mean we're what eight months into spending all day every day in our houses right like we there's a lot of there's a lot of fragility in this industry um we see this in the live in the decimation decimation of the live music sector um I worry, like when I think about the, the relative youth and immaturity of this market, I worry about changes that are that that are advocated for or get made that undermine the ability to maintain that competitiveness, that undermine the ability to bring people into the system and continue to grow that pie. Um, I, I do think there's advocacy around things like <clears throat> who gets paid and how much that that kind of sits in a in a almost zero sum game uh discussion of this that that is problematic and i think it it can ignore the the real the the reality of how the economics work and so i the the thing that i'm always worried about is are people pushing for changes and sure this is like part of it is the self interest of the 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 folks for whom i'm at i advocate but i also i also do worry about 
Um, it, we have a history in this industry of sometimes making decisions that feel like they were right in the short term because they preserved something that seemed good at the moment, yeah, um, yeah. but that well, left yeah. us with a little runway to move forward on stuff. I, one of the, I, I don't remember which of you said this during a, a, a podcast not too long ago, but one of you said, look, it's always, it's going to keep evolving and it's not going to evolve back to CDs, right? It's yeah, going right. to evolve to like something we can't anticipate. Um, I, and I'm all for healthy discussions around all of the, the stuff about, you know, who's getting paid and, and how much and how did that happen? Um, I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that right now we've got a really healthy streaming economy and yeah, we, should, God. we should be protecting that and, and advocating for it. Well, you know, one of the things that, that Jay and I always advocate for is education. And, and, and from the standpoint of artists and now even the fans, because so much is transparent now. You know, we, we all see this almost every day. I mean, I just got into this conversation with somebody this morning, you know, oh, the the streaming services do not pay my favorite artists any money. Screw them, screw them. And I feel like that is one of the big problems that isn't necessarily technical innovation, isn't yeah. going to be solved by uh, a, a new software update, isn't going to be solved by legislation. It's going to be solved by... PR Lear, learning <laughs> learn as you said learning who pays who where the money flows where it's coming from and where it's going and I feel like that is a big issue right now because I'm just getting to the point where I'm just like rolling my eyes going oh for god's sake are we starting this screaming match again that there's no money being made because the truth is there's as you said a lot of money in streaming right there's but a big misunderstanding, yeah. right, Michael? You and I talk about this every day. I'll hear an artist say, well, you know, XDSP is screwing the artist. They're not paying the artist. Well, last time I checked, the DSPs played, paid the rights holders. And if you have a bad deal or you have seven co-writes or whatever that is, then or that's a million gonna... dollars in unrecouped advances for something. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's all these misconceptions about how streaming works but i always say that a stream is not worth a download and a download is not worth a cd or vinyl they're different things and i know artists who are making a healthy living on streaming but do you run into that in your business just the common misconceptions about well dsps are bad you know record companies are screwing everybody and you know it's is it must be part of your job too that education a hundred percent. We actually, I, I meant to send this to you. I'll send this to you guys after, after we're done chatting. We actually put together um, an infographic that we've got on our website that's kind of designed to be at a high level, like uh, uh, who gets paid and how, right? A little bit of a, of a it's, it tries to stay at a high level, gets a little bit in the weeds of explaining how that money flows, but it's exactly right. The first part of that money flow out from the DSP is to rights holders. Right. And once that happens, like 
the the services like you know this is a little picture. Bit like, it's not their problem anymore right? it's a little bit like the user-centric thing like i've read the same thing everyone else has read which is deezer's been pushing for user-centric and they're getting resistance from rights holders on user-centric right mm -hmm. this isn't as simple like it, it it's neither as simple nor accurate to say services pay creators x amount of money that's right like, that that's just not how it works and I, you know i totally understand and sympathize with the fact that particularly for creators who have been working through these evolutions of the industry saying whoa 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 like <laughs> this isn't like this can't be right because this isn't how it worked for cds or even for downloads right but a lot of that has to do with just how the how streaming works right we've moved to a a song like a single based uh consumption model right yeah so like if if albums aren't moving in the same way that's going to change writer composition yeah, it's not access track. not ownership right. it's a whole different behavior and so I look, and I also think to be blunt and to get a little inside baseball in DC, I think there are folks within the industry who've kind of weaponized some of that misunderstanding and used some of that lack of transparency and, and lack of understanding to try to vilify the services as somehow the like the root of the of the problem as opposed to you know kind of the the driver of the the economy and yes that economy has changed but we need to be honest about what it looks like and it doesn't just look like you know it, 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 i'll go back to the point i made at the outset i'm not aware of a single streaming service at scale that's profitable yeah. right and so it's not as if yeah, they're it's not like they're getting rich Right. Um, they're not holding on to, to profits that um, are being denied to creators right now. And so that money is flowing to rights holders. What happens after that? I think th these are conversations we should have. And like, we're not opposed to having conversations sure. about even what that looks like when it goes out from the service to the rights holders. You know, there are, there are folks who advocate strongly for looking at the balance there. And like, I think that's part of the conversation but it it like no one's helped if the conversation is just you know service x doesn't pay creators just pay yeah, yeah pay me pay me pay me that's it's it, just it, yeah yeah because to to your point i feel like sometimes i feel like who's behind trying to make streaming services the bad guys now because was tower records the bad guy when they sold a cd for 18 dollars and the artist didn't get any of that. I mean, how did they become the bad guy? And, and who would want them to be the bad guy? These are questions to ask, but it comes back to, yeah, inform people and artists read the contract that you signed. I mean, at the end of the day, that's where every the buck stops there. You signed a contract. That's what you've agreed to. Yeah. And our business hasn't ever had a lot of transparency, right, Garrett? I mean, we have a long standing history of shenanigans. And so I think there's a level of distrust uh, across the board. Some of it warranted, some of it just, you know, not. 
And I, you know, I think on the contracts and agreements point, like, I, I don't know exactly how long artist contracts are, but like it, when you go to the, the evolution period, the point and like the, 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 the speed at which things are changing, I have no doubt that there are terms that people have agreed to that like don't look like the right thing anymore, right? Like because the, 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 the fundamental economics of the industry have changed. That's right. right? I mean, just and recently so, BMG with the uh, controlled composition yeah. clause, things like that, are really moving us in a different direction. Um, and I think, and there should be know, more transparency. One of the things we haven't talked about, and it's not really, it's not, you know, my members, but it's a it's an outgrowth of the digital distribution environment, is like the alternatives to kind of traditional uh, intermediaries, right? The ability to go forward DIY in a range, right? Like full right. DIY or, you know, label services kinds of things. Those are helpful um, uh, developments from my perspective, but they add to the complication of like how the money is flowing, right? Well, yeah. exa exactly. I mean, I was literally just thinking of this this morning of like, maybe we need to do an infographic that says, you do it yourself, well, you're still going through an, a distributor who is collecting the money and whatever that terms of service you agreed to on that distributor defines how much you get paid and when you get paid. You sign with a record label, same thing. A record label may be going through another distributor. Every one of those hands in that pie is taking a piece of it and has terms as to how much will flow down. I mean, it's it's that old analogy of trickle down. Well, I mean, I think I think artists have come to accept the fact that, however it happens, it doesn't trickle all the way down to the artist. Right. It, I mean, and and these and and artists and writer agreements like that they're they're signed at times when you know it's not necessarily clear what your career is going to look like. We are mm -hmm. like. It, this isn't a like I, I want to be really clear like this isn't judgment that I'm like sharing about this I don't think people have necessarily made mistakes but like where you are when you sign your recording contract might be very different than where you are when the streaming royalties start flowing right, right? and it's right. not you know we all face this of, yeah and it's okay. not as simple to your point it's not as simple as okay in the old days there was this record company right and you had a distributor and it was pretty cut and dry now you know i run a label and artist services company there are di you know the distro kid and cd baby and TuneCore options then you have options like you know the orchard and in grooves and there are all these different levels and they offer different things and you can't say one's better than another because it all depends on what level artist you are what your goals are one may be good for one artist that wouldn't work for another, but it definitely complicates the landscape. Yep, yep. And you know, it's a complicated conversation, right? I'm not saying it's easy to have this conversation or like that. Not at all, that, yeah. That, you know, but I, I, you know, you are preaching to the to the converted <laughs> here that like what we're what we face is a real kind of information deficit around this. And like one of the things that I think 
we are going to try to do a better job of is talking about this. But it, you know, it can be hard, right? Like you start talking about it and and voices get raised and emotions heat up, right? And yeah. some of that invective comes out that it's hard to kind of it is hard to push back against that. But I do think at the end of the day, the the, the best solution to it is like just being open about how it actually works. Um, that people are still going to be mad about it. Like I, yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying that those answers are going to satisfy everybody, <laughs> but they do have the benefit of being true, which is yes. a nice thing to have. Yep. Yep. Yeah. You deal with uh, some of the issues surrounding podcasts these days, whether it's having music in podcasts or having podcasts within the streaming services any of that? Yeah, so I mean, we talk about this a little bit in in the Streaming Forward report that we put out, and kind of like the the embrace of of podcasting as a as a real kind of um, like exciting audio consumer offering. Um, right now, we as an organization have not gotten involved in the kind of music in podcast questions. From my perspective, it seems to kind of be working its way through the system through you know i kind of view my job as like if they're asking me if my members are asking me to get involved then there's a problem right if they're asking me to talk about like the positive aspects of things then there probably isn't a problem from a business perspective and like i'm not gonna i'm not i'm not gonna put myself into those those business questions unless i absolutely have to um certainly i think you look at what the um, what the DEMA member companies are doing. And I think at this point, every single one of them has kind of embraced podcasting in some way, shape or form as kind of additive audio content for people who have gotten used to listening to stuff on their mobile devices, on their smart speakers. Um, I, you know, sometimes I, so I, I, I have a degree in film. I used to work in film yeah. and television. I, sometimes I, I marvel at just the enduring power of audio as like a thing that yep. we still love and are, are still like going to in droves. That's remarkable to me when you think about, you know, kind of the innovations and availability of video content that like the the enduring power of audio whether it's music or or podcasting it's remarkable yeah. you know I, I i i could add as a podcaster of of 10 years now um am i going to somebody like you and saying there's a problem no but i think the reality is a lot of podcasters have just thrown their hands up and given up in relationship to music in podcasts. Yeah. You know, it's great. I, I can produce a podcast and I can get it everywhere, but I've advised new podcasters. I've spoken at radio conventions on podcasting and everybody immediately says, well, what about music? And I'm like, my honest advice, don't even touch music because the problem is there's no rights control system in place it's all automated you throw it up on youtube and it's going to be a fingerprint match and good luck trying to reach somebody and say oh i did acquire the license of this apple same way spotify same way 
that's where I think as a podcaster, we've kind of thrown our hands up going, we'd love to make music part of this to help the people we're talking to. The technology has not innovated yet in that area to allow us to do that. I think that's so true. I would add that I think the other thing that that maybe has lagged behind a little bit, and maybe this is actually helped by kind of the the move, uh, the kind of strong moves into podcasting that you see from from streaming services, is um, for lack of a better description, kind of like proof of concept to the rights holders that there's yep. there's there's an audience here. There. Right, right. Like that, you know, licensing takes, it takes a willing licensor and a willing licensee, right? And I think there's no question, no question. I mean, I've listened to podcasts for a long time, right? And there's no question that there is a, a hunger for and a, and a, um, and potential for uh, music to be in podcasts in a way that is kind of game changing. Yeah. Um, I, I think in some respects, the rights holders have been, uh, are, are coming to that realization as well. And I think the, the faster they come to that realization, the more you st will start to see some of those pathways open up. And some of it's coming from, you know, interesting paths in my perspective, which is you know, major labels getting into the podcast game, right? Mm -hmm. And putting out podcasts built around music. Um, and yeah. then you see like things like Song Exploder, right? Moving I was just from mention that. Yeah. podcast to Netflix, right? This is a thing, is it, you know, it's yeah. not going anywhere uh, except kind of continuing to evolve. So I, I'm, I'm pretty bullish on the, on the prospects for, um, music being in podcasts sooner rather than later. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think the evolution is happening. I mean, we just saw that a few weeks ago when Spotify announced that you can now include Spotify tracks in a podcast. The, 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 the challenge is you have to record that on their system and it only can be played within Spotify. So as a podcaster, I'm like, well, okay, I'm not recording a one-off just for you. Right. But I do like the fact that they came up with something. Now, yeah. if industry-wide, that could be rolled out as, okay, you can do that on Apple. You can do that on Amazon. Because as we started this whole conversation off, they all got the same catalog of music. Yeah. They've got you know, the licenses. It's interesting. You know, I, I look a little bit at podcasts as some of the, like, the early stage discussions when, you know, I wasn't there for it, but, you know, if you, if you kind of rewind to the start of digital audio distribution and, and kind of the founding of DEMA and things like that, there was such a fear within the rights holder community that digital distribution was going to like do away with CD sales. And Ultimately, that proved correct, right? But they were really worried about it and built into the law, like, you know, breaks to, to stop that from happening and slow that down. Mm. I think there's always a concern, and I get it. I think it's actually a rational concern of cannibalization and, and kind of pulling away listeners from higher revenue generating things. So I, mm -hmm. I think on some level, I actually understand the slowness to get there as a podcast listener and fan. Like I can't yeah. wait until we're kind of on the other side of that as an advocate for the services that will kind of be at the forefront of that. Like I welcome conversations about how we get there. Yeah. It's interesting because I've, 
gone to get music for podcasts and it's not impossible but it's not easy either you have to you know as you know all too well you don't just go to one place and say hey can i have that music you have to talk to the publisher um and that is a rate that you know you negotiate that rate now to be fair a lot of the publishers now are offering very like if you have a little podcast that's listened to by hundreds not thousands of people you know they have some low rates where you depending on the song um you can license that but you also have to go to the whoever owns the master as yeah. well so for those that are new to the business they may not know those people to call yeah. um and sometimes i've listened to podcasts where i've heard music in there and i went that's not licensed <laughs> you yeah. know well, one of my sometimes it's caught sometimes it's not one of my favorite series of podcasts in the last couple of years is one done by um, the guys at Earwolf, the um, You Talking You Too to Me and the Are You Talking R.E.M. Me. I don't know if you've heard these. Uh, I've heard those. So these, it's these two comics, this guy Scott Ackerman and Adam Scott from Parks and Recreation, who are okay. good They're both huge U2 fans and huge R.E.M. fans. And they do the they do these like uh, like long running podcasts that where they go through the catalogs of the bands. I think they're on the Red Hot Chili Peppers now. I think, wow. um, and they play a bunch of clips from the music. And I, I, I'm I, I don't I you know I've heard them talk about clearances and stuff, and they talk about how long they can play the the clip for but I think what they're relying on is that they're doing this like thing that they that they're pretty confident the band will like like and so like they're relying on that less on have we like fully you know crossed all the the t's and got a little high <laughs> like they right. got Bono right. in the edge to come talk to them on the U2 one they got yeah. Mike Mills to come talk to them on the REM one wow. um so I think you know, but I, I think about what those podcasts would be like if, you know, th there was just a clear way to, to clear everything with Warner yeah. or, you know, well, whoever. I mean, I've, 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 yeah. I've got a second podcast that's all about the band Kiss. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're, we're over 400 episodes in this thing. We've never played a Kiss track yeah. once because I just don't, to Jay's point, want to put the work in and jump through all these hoops to get it done and pay the and, money and and then still risk having one of these podcast services go well you don't have the rights to that music well yes i do but how do i find somebody to actually call on the phone at spotify and say i cleared the rights yeah yeah and and that and that's where the problem comes in because i think a lot of new podcasters don't even understand this is a rights issue. They just jump in and start doing it. And then they get thumb on them of like, we are deleting that episode because you've got U2 music in there. And they're like, what do you mean? And then they get pissed. And then, you know, that might drive them away from this. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, that's the story of the internet right there, right? I mean, we see, we see, we've seen this in so many different contexts of, of, of the amazing capacity of user-generated content and the pitfalls of, of user-generated content and, like, you know, talk about education issues and, and the need to kind of, like, understand things. But at the end of the day, if it's easy to license it, if you can set up systems that exactly. make it possible. That's it then yeah. you're everyone wins i think 
certainly there's my my hope is is that we can we can move towards that yeah yeah they need to simplify that process there was a company in seattle that i met with that dealt with um, video and still images that could be licensed for film for print those types of things and they simplified the process by developing this dashboard and you just go in there and type it in you'd say i need this image and you type mm -hmm. in the image number and it's going to be used for this usage from this date to this date you hit a button and say that's five hundred dollars and you'd either right. go yes or no boom you got yourself a license i would love to see something like that for the music business i mean it might be a pipe dream but i think it would be it, it all comes down to simplifying this this incredibly complex uh process which is complex for people like us but if it's some new developing artist that it's like another language yeah a hundred percent a hundred percent yeah well, Garrett, I, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed talking to you. I hope you'll come on again. And um, where can people learn more about um, what you're doing at DEMA? And, and if you're into it, where can people kind of find you? Yeah, so uh, you can go to our website, uh, DEMA.org. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I think I'm at Garrett Levin, I think. Let me double check that. <laughs> Ask your son. <laughs> <laughs> you would definitely know yeah at garrett levin on twitter uh you can email me uh garrett at dima.org uh i love to talk about this stuff i'd love to come back anytime you want to uh, that would you be want awesome like yeah. definitely we will have you back anytime garrett such a great conversation thanks for joining us man appreciate thanks it both. Appreciate thank it. you take care all right Discmakers.com. Use code FREEBIZ for ground shipping on CD orders of 100 units or more, $150 value. I kind of say this about everybody, but that was just such a fascinating conversation Yeah. from the inside. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, Garrett has such great experience and he... He is in Washington and he basically represents, you know, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, you know, this is a, a very high level. He's playing NFL football. I mean, he's got ridiculous yep. education, work experience. And it, outside of that, he's just a really nice guy to talk with. Yeah. So much great insight. Um, really you know, appreciate him coming. Uh, yeah. On. I mean, we'll, we'll put a link up to the uh, streaming report. And we'll uh, get a copy of the infographic as well. You know, it, it all comes back to education, education, education. Learn about mantra. the business, learn about these services, learn about the money flow, learn about who pays who, um, because it makes it much easier to understand what's going on when you actually know what's going yeah. on. That's right. And things are changing as he talked about the MMA, MLC, and you'll hear all about, you know, this in the news. January 1, a lot of changes are taking place and they've been a long time coming. Music Modernization Act, uh, definitely check that out. The Mechanical Licensing Collective, uh, a new body. It's, it's all new and it's all changing and evolving and you need to be up on this stuff. Yep, for sure. So, um, before we wrap up, just a quick shout out to Hypebot and Bands in Town. Thank you very much for your week in and week out support. Appreciate and of it. course, to our sponsors, bandzoogle.com and discmakers.com. Go check them out, show them some love. And listen, if 
you've got something you want to promote and advertise, we're always looking for new sponsors as well. So feel free to reach out to either one of us. You can find us everywhere online or leave a comment and we'll, we'll get, get in touch with you. Excellent. Um, and uh, that's it. We'll see everybody next week.